Hi, and welcome to Ace Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's in Major League Baseball. I'm your host today, Chronicle writer Matt Kawahara, and today we're joined by A's outfielder, first baseman Mark Canna, who covers a variety of topics, including his ultra-productive 2019 season, his approach to hitting, his live-and-let-live stance on bat flipping, and his love for food and his favorite restaurants in the Bay Area. Mark, I guess just to start off, uh, tell us a little bit about last season and and whether there was anything that you felt like maybe uh, clicked for you, whether it was before the season, during the season, anything that you maybe found that uh, that you were able to build off of there. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny how these things happen. I, I started off the season not playing very much, um, but I had kind of a simple plan, and that was to be ultra-selective about the pitches I was swinging at. And um, I, despite the little playing time I had, I had accumulated a lot of walks, and I realized that what that was kind of doing for my numbers. So I just kind of clung to that for a while and, until I got some regular playing time, and then... Um, Thankfully, I, I was able to start swinging the bat when I got in there, but um, it was kind of the walks that, that got me going. What was it that uh, convinced you to maybe try to be more selective? Was there anything in particular? Just thoughtfulness. Um, you know, I, there, there's only... I was given... I, I kind of understood... It was easy to see at the beginning of the year what my role was going to be, at least the team's plan for me at the beginning of the year. And I had to kind of look to think about it a little bit and, and, you know, given the hand that I was dealt, how am I going to make this work? How am I going to make myself valuable? How am I going to still be productive? Because it's hard to put up numbers that jump off the page when you're not in there very much. So I... I had to figure out how I was going to do that, and that was um, that was just a big part of it. It's thinking about like, well, what can I do when I get in there? I can control the strike zone. If even you know, because it's hard to get in rhythm swinging the bat when you're not playing very much. But if I control the strike zone, I can be helpful in other ways and be productive, you know, in with limited playing time. Bob Melvin said that um, that that might have been partly a product of just conversations he had with Marcus Simeon, who's uh, a guy that he played with in college, and obviously he's another guy who's got a pretty cerebral approach to, to the game and to hitting. Is that uh, did you guys talk about that sort of thing in play discipline? There? Um, not. I don't know if we ever had a, a discussion about it, but we. I definitely pay attention to the way Marcus goes about his business, and he has a very different approach to hitting than I do in, in that he's more um, into the, the competitive nature of an at-bat rather than being super technical or mechanical or... With, with his swing and I'm more of like a swing guy but but I think what I could take from Marcus I kind of take a page out of his book by saying well what else can I control besides my swing I can control the strike zone and, and that's one thing that he talks about a lot is it, it makes a big difference if you describe yourself as um, as a swing guy, what is it that that goes into? Uh, I guess what sort of maintenance do you do on your swing? How when you talk about mechanical uh, work that you do, mechanical, I guess, 
is it upkeep is it is it continually um evaluating and finding whether there are tweaks to make or how, how do you go about uh maintaining your swing um i think it all it just depends where you're at in different points in the season like there's times like right now i'm making adjustments it feels like every day because i'm trying to kind of find it we haven't you know i've only had 15 to 20 at bats or something like that so you're making a lot of adjustments day to day whereas when you get going on a roll you're just trying to stay locked in you're you're not looking at too much on video you're just saying you know your feels you know what it looks like on video and you see it and you just try to kind of hammer home the the concepts that you know are working for you and um so it just varies it depends if season is full of ups and downs and when you know i think when we're going bad we tend to want to change a lot and when we're going good we tend to just be like okay let's just stay right in your lane right here and ride this out uh, there are some hitters who if they are in, in sort of a down uh downtime they'll they'll put in a lot of extra work and try to work themselves through it and there are other guys who say they don't want to do that they just want to stick with the same routine yeah. and and keep it similar and, and eventually it'll sort of even out what side of that do you fall on if, if it's going through a rest stretch i'm the workhorse type um I'm the guy that video swings, change up your weight room routine, maybe, you know, everything. I'm trying to do whatever I can. It's probably out of desperation, a little bit of panic, a little bit of everything. You know, we, we all want to play well every day, and that's just not how it goes in this game. Um, so I think, and I think there's other times when like last year when when I wasn't playing at the beginning of the year but I was getting walks I was just kind of waiting patiently though I wasn't really working too crazily I knew it was just a matter of like getting in there and getting some reps and I kind of knew I was in a good place and just waiting for like a sample size for it to come out did you feel like you went through a down stretch at all last season or was it pretty consistent for you um, it was pretty good last year. Last year is the, pro is the only season in my career, minor league, major league, anywhere, where I really can't think of a time when I was really going too bad. I always did a pretty good job and in a great way. The walks that we talked about before is a great way of kind of um, evening out those numbers. So. I feel like even the days I didn't get a hit, there was a walk or two in there. You're like, well, my on-base percentage went up today. You know, like I didn't get any hits, but my on-base went up and I scored a run. You know, I helped. So it's a great way to bridge those moments when you're from when you're doing well to when you're not doing so well to when you're to get back into a rhythm is, is the walks and the scene pitches and stuff like that. How much video do you watch? And is it well, is it mostly or largely video of your own swing and evaluating that? Or um, I would assume there's some of opposing pitchers as well. But how much video work do you do? Um, a, a bit. I typically, for 30 minutes to... 30 to 45 minutes, I'll watch the starting pitcher every day, uh, maybe a few relievers um, that I, you know, don't, I'm not familiar with. Um, and then when I'm struggling, I do it for a lot more time. But, but I, I really, 
I think video is can be a good tool, but it also can be something that you can get bogged down in and it, it'll become a negative thing if you look too much into it. Are you, uh, are you an analytics guy? Do you, do you pay attention to uh, certain metrics or any particular numbers when it comes to evaluating hitting or your own hitting? Um, I don't, the advanced metrics, no. Because I, I, I don't know what goes into them or even what some of them are called or, you know, I don't really know. I just kind of, I pay attention to kind of a nerd and then I pay attention to the old kind of analytic numbers like on base percentage slugging I'm into I care about my OPS more than I care about my ex-woba you know I don't even know what that is so um, yeah I think it's impossible for us to if we as players get worried about those numbers you just it's too much so when you're up at the plate, you're not trying to like create launch angle or you're not thinking about exit velocities or anything like that? No. No, I'm trying to hit 97. I'm trying to get... I'm trying to touch the ball first and then go from there and, and just square up the baseball, I think is what we're all trying to do. Um, maybe you work on creating launch angle I guess if you're if you really want to in like your work but not once you go up there everything goes out the window you're just like it becomes more animalistic and competitive than like scientific who's a who's your toughest at bat in the majors or who has been your toughest at bat do you think oh man trying to think of a guy who historically Felix Hernandez was always really tough for me even though I didn't get him when he was throwing very hard you know he's only throwing at the most 93 miles an hour when when my rookie season when he's probably his best um, he's one of the most challenging ones um, the Astros guys are always tough Garrett Cole last year was really tough Granky's really tough. Um, Clayton Kershaw was kind of weird timing. Um, yeah, I mean those are a few. I was curious if you're going to say Felix. Felix is actually the pitcher you had the most plate appearances against in the majors, and I think you're one for twenty. Yeah. With a homer. With a homer, exactly. Yeah. And I was going to say, do you, you remember the homer? I do. It was my rookie season, and. Uh, yeah, it's like one for 20 with one homer and probably like 14 strikeouts. <laughs> um, what just, was it that made him so tough, I guess, even at that point in his career for you? It's when he throws the ball, it's like no matter how many times I face him, you just, it always moves and it, you never know out of his hand which way it's gonna move. It was always, it's, it either darts to the right and or darts to the left and you just don't it's i could never pick it up it was just so he i'm up there just like i feel like i'm swinging it, uh, playing wiffle ball kind of like he's just making it move all over the place and it's just it was really hard for me to to get him in the strike zone and and try to figure out like it just has so much deception to what he does uh on the topic of home runs what what is the official start of uh, bat flipping season? 
I guess as soon as I hit a home run. I'm still waiting on my first one of the spring. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when it happens. But uh, Bob also pointed out this morning that you you have carried over the the play discipline in this in the sense that you've been drawing walks this spring so far. Do you feel like you have things that you can build on from last year that you're carrying over into this spring already? I, absolutely. I think that always plays because when you get into the heat of competition things happen I'll say like you know all the reports all the percentages throw it out the window because when you get into we're playing and these games count pitchers make mistakes pitchers can't find the strike zone I think that people always give pitchers too much credit in that they assume that they know where the ball's going and I think being patient for your pitch and and just waiting for a pitch that you actually see well as opposed to getting too much anticipating too much like what's going to happen I think it's is a big thing for me and it will always be a big thing and for the rest of time as long as baseball is a game if, if you go up there and you're like I'm going to probably going to swing at this pitch and you're probably going to swing at it no matter where it is if you go up there and you trust yourself to be able to know what where you want to hit the ball where you want it in the zone and and waiting being patient for that pitch I think that's going to behoove you more often than not and if you yeah I think a lot of guys get nervous and get nervous in there and just whether they don't want to hit with two strikes or you know, they want to get the bat over with more than they want to get a good pitch to hit. I think that I think that'll always be a, a good approach to have. So I'll certainly try to carry that into this year. You're listening to A's Plus. We'll be back with more in just a moment with Mark Hanna. You mentioned uh, just in the early part of last season, still having to sort of get used to your role and how they were going to use you, um, and then. Bob, this, just this morning, said that um, the, your numbers would suggest everyday player, and there's going to be probably a priority to to have you in the lineup uh, as much as possible, even if that means moving around to different positions. Um, is that, I guess, first of all, is that uh, encouraging to hear? And then also, how do you, uh, I guess, prepare on the defensive side, just having to play all the different outfield positions usually and then also mixing a little first base um how do you just sort of prepare for that um i think the important thing is just uh, doing the work and and being confident in your work and that comes from shagging and bp and taking everything seriously and i think the more work like the more real work i put in and the more i really be thoughtful when I'm working and it, it, it gives you confidence your preparedness will be lead to confidence which leads to good defense in my opinion I think in defense the most important thing is to not be tentative out there and be confident and assertive and aggressive at times and that's where I'm ultimately that's where you want to be how did you make yourself into such a versatile outfielder? Because I, I, I mean, look, remembering like the, the your days at Cal, it was a lot of first base uh, yeah. primarily. And then, uh, how did you sort of get to the point where you could play all three outfield positions? Do you think? 
I mean, I, it wasn't really by choice. It was kind of just, hey, we're throwing you in left field today. Hey, you're playing center today. Hey, you're playing right. It's just go out there and do it. I don't, you know, I don't always decide, or I rarely decide where I'm going to play on the field. Um, I just think, just I've always been a good athlete. I've always, I've never, I could have done that in college. I just we didn't have anybody to play first base so I had to play first base and that you know that's just how it goes you know so I I think the, the, the hitting always plays so I'll just keep hitting and let them do whatever they want with me in the outfield I could care less I do want to ask you uh, quickly about the uh, the bat flips which is something that you've done for a couple of years and and just sort of your um it's become such a, a, I don't know if controversial might not be the, the right word to describe it, but there are people who think, hey, it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's fun to watch hitters celebrate when, when, you, you, know, when you hit a home run. There are other people who may be a little more, I don't know, traditional or uh, they just think it's either showboating or showing up the pitcher. What's sort of your overall uh, worldview on, on the bat flip? On the bat flip? Um, I think live and let live like I'm not gonna go around like telling people what to think about bat flips you can like it or you can not like it and that's your deal it's kind of like anything else like I all I know is what I know so I'm not gonna go tell you lecture you about what you know so I'm kind of like why don't you just let me do my thing and and I'll let you do your thing and and let's live together. <laughs> do you have a particular one that you look back on that you think, "Hey, that was executed well." Or that was uh, I don't know. Uh it's all it's all just spur of the moment really. Um there's one in Minnesota last year where we were kind of getting beat down early in this series in Minneapolis and they were hitting a bunch of homers and kind of flipping them and I, it was the one where I was like really like if I get one here I'm gonna let them know about it because they're definitely letting us know about it so I got one and it was a big it was a nice one it was like a game tying homer maybe a go-ahead homer in like the seventh inning of a close game and and uh I flipped it like super high. It was like a baton, and that was one of my one of my favorite ones, just because I was like, man, I, I really wanted to get those guys, and I only got them. Do you admire other hitters' bat flips? Are there, are there ones that stand out to you in terms of? Um, yeah, I like it. I, I like it as long as it as long as it happens organically, and you can tell when a guy does it organically or when it's kind of like planned out a little bit. Um, as long as it's like you can tell i think it's just when it comes up naturally it's that's what makes it the most fun is you're like oh man he just you know i mean hitting a home run is kind of the coolest thing you can do in sports in my opinion it's the hardest you know people say hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in all of sports and if you, it's the ultimate achievement right it's the best thing you can do is hit a home run so i think if a guy can score a touchdown and you know dance why can't we flip a bat um that's i guess our version of it and i i think we should just celebrate that last topic i want to cover with you is one that uh i know you 
talked about quite a bit, but um, you have for a few years now done the uh, the Big League Foodie Instagram page where you know you uh, post pictures of, of some of the meals that you have either in the Bay Area or on the road, and and uh, you've been you know pre- you're pretty into food. Um, I was wondering, what? Uh, how did that start? Um, and was it something that you kind of had always uh, wanted to to kind of get into in terms of just like airing out your your meals when you were in the in the minors and um well i've always been kind of open and and to trying new things and trying different kinds of foods and and the foodie thing i mean i went to cal and there's a lot of different kinds of food that you could experience there uh, it's kind of a melting pot of different cuisines and i kind of just tried everything and decided that I was passionate about food and like really liked trying different things and so I, I got to the I got to the big leagues and I had actually met one of my friends that went to Cal ironically um, his girlfriend at the time was a food blogger and she's telling me like about it and I was just kind of interested and she's like yeah I'm actually like you know I get paid sometimes to do stuff I'm like this is my job and I thought that was super cool. And I was like, well, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> like, and, and, my, and once I got to the big leagues, I was kind of like, I had a platform to do it. And I was like, all right, now's the time. Let's have fun with this, you know, disposable income and, and whatnot. And um, it's just something that, it's a way for me to use social media that, that I can enjoy it. And, um, before I was never really into posting on Instagram or posting on Twitter, but now I am because I want to share my adventures with the world and, and I want to, uh, and the things that I've been able to do just because of this blog. I mean, I've met like Dominique Crenn who's a famous you know, Michelin, first Michelin star woman chef in America. One of my favorite chefs I've been to multiple restaurants of hers and um i mean just crazy stuff like people replying to my posts and stuff that like like other bloggers from somewhere some other country and stuff like just cool stuff like that where it's made social media made me like genuinely interested in kind of that world and uh getting away like keep staying away from like the negative side of it and then getting into like that's the part that i really enjoy about instagram have you uh have you always had a pretty like refined palette or what's uh what i kind of cringe when i hear that word like term refined palette because i think food is not necessarily about having a refined palate or whatever. I mean, yeah, I guess you can have a refined palate in the sense that you've tried more things and experienced different kinds of things. Um, But I think food is a uniquely like personal experience and it's different for everybody. So like my wife is a huge foodie, maybe a bigger foodie than I am and, and she like watches Food Network shows, she genuinely like knows a lot about food. Her knowledge is just greater than mine. And um, 
there's restaurants we go to that we disagree on where she's like, ah, I don't think it's that good. And I'm like, no, I think it's good. I, I really like it. And we both consider ourselves, you know, we eat, we're eating at these restaurants together most of the time. So I think it's just different for everybody. And, and that's kind of what's great about it is to just try different things so you know what you like and actually like taste the food. I think a lot of people eat food and they're just, they don't think about it like, is this good or is this bad? They're just like, oh, salty, yum, like, you know, or whatever, like, oh, fat, yum. Like, there's flavors that are in there that you're not, or that are out there that you may not be aware of, and I want other people to know that. Um, just a quick round of, uh, I guess, memories or, or restaurants, meals that you had. What, what was the best or what were some of the best meals that you had while in the minors? Oh, while in the minors. Um, <laughs> they make a hell of a peanut butter sandwich in the, <laughs> in the minors. Um, Greensboro, North Carolina had a lot of great food. And, and for someone who grew up in California, I was not accustomed to being in the South and, and uh, tasting different kinds of foods like that in a small town for and for a small town I think there's just so many good like like barbecue and not just barbecue like gastro pubs and different things there they had a great sushi restaurant that I go to so I I don't know if I'm trying to think but I, I don't know if there's like a one meal that stuck out because I wasn't going to the types of restaurants where you're like, oh, that was like one of the best meals of my life. But like just the first time I tasted like a good barbecue joint in North Carolina was like, whoa, I didn't know barbecue could be this good, you know? Yeah. Favorite restaurant or two in Oakland? Uh, Millennium and Ramen Shop. I haven't been to the Michelin star one there yet. Um, forget what it's called but Bob's been trying to get me to go there for years and I haven't I haven't made it in yet but I'm going to How about greater Bay Area outside of Oakland like maybe San Francisco San or San Francisco um Chez Panisse in Berkeley and Atelier Crenn and I also like one it's called Bennu what's the best AL road city for food New York hands down that was probably a, a gimme yeah yeah, easy. Do you have a, a favorite spot in New York? Um, been to a lot of good restaurants in New York. One of my favorites, I don't know if it's like the best food I've had in New York, but one of my favorites, so if you combine the food and the atmosphere, like just a cool restaurant to go to, is the restaurant in the Nomad Hotel. Uh, is one of my favorite places to go. As the cart rolls by here on the concourse at Ho-Ho-Kim Stadium, um, you've been here now for, I think, five seasons, and uh, what's the, one of the biggest differences, I guess, this offseason is just the, the amount of turnover has been very small. That A lot of players returning from last season, um, a rotation that looks really strong with a couple of, of guys who are going to be rookies and probably playing pretty big roles. Uh, this team is coming off back-to-back 97-win seasons and wild-card appearances. What do you feel like is the potential for this team this year? Uh, the sky's the limit. We, you know, on paper everything looks good, and, and we, you know we got a lot of everybody's 
knock on wood, staying healthy, and I think we could win the division. And I think, but anything could happen. So you get, we have to go out there and we have to do it. And uh, you know that there's a lot that goes into that. You, know, you guys, you have to stay healthy. I think if we can stay healthy and kind of keep our eyes on the big picture, which I think should be winning the World Series. Um, that is what we should be, have, that's what our mindset should be and, you know, controlling kind of that. And if we can keep our eyes in the big picture and not just like the day-to-day, -day, like how do we need to get past this game? How do we, no, we need to win the World Series. We don't need to win April 17th against whoever, you know? Like we need to win all of it. And I think that is my opinion what we need to do. Mark Hanna, thanks a lot for joining us on A's Plus. Thanks for having me. Our thanks again to Mark Hanna for joining us on A's Plus. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We'll be back again later in the week on A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.